God, show us what to do. And help us to know that you are guiding us. Amen. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. These are the words of Jesus that were spoken from the cross. A prayer to God that God might forgive these ones who were putting Jesus to death. To forgive those Roman soldiers, the Jewish religious leaders, the crowds who had shouted for Jesus to be crucified. They don't know what they were doing, Jesus pleads in his prayer. I think the reason why they don't know what they're doing is because either they didn't know or they have forgotten their identity. They've chosen to forget who they are. They've forgotten that they are loved children of God because if they had not forgotten this, they certainly would not be doing what they're doing. What does it mean to live as a loved child of God? For us as Christians, we look to Jesus to show us what it means to live as God's beloved. We're now in this season of Lent, and in this season we're encouraged to explore what it means to follow Jesus. In this Lenten season, we will go with Jesus as He makes His way to Jerusalem on His journey to the cross. And along that way, we ask ourselves, what does Jesus' journey mean for me and my own journey of faith? How am I to know what to do? But Jesus begins this journey today as He's tempted in the wilderness by the devil. Now right before this story is the familiar story of when Jesus was baptized, that when He comes out of the water, the Spirit comes down like the dove and a voice from heaven cries out, This is my Son, the Beloved. With Him I am well pleased. And then we get to the story today where immediately Jesus was led into the desert by the Spirit, led into the wilderness, the wilderness, a place of isolation, utter aloneness, a place of uncertainty, a place where all the safeties and comforts of life are gone. We read that he's gone without food for 40 days and 40 nights. It says that he is famished. Physically, he's weak. He's broken. He's all alone. The excitement of that voice from heaven must have seen to be a long way away. And into this picture of Jesus being famished comes the devil. Diablos is the Greek adversary or accuser. And he's going to tempt Jesus to put Jesus to the test. And the temptation is going to be around Jesus' identity. Who are you going to choose to be as the Son of God, Jesus? Will you know what to do and why to do it? That's what Jesus will be exploring in the desert, in the wilderness. Now what I'd like to do as we consider each of these three temptations is not only consider how they are directed at Jesus, but how we, who are also beloved children of God, how we might face these same type of temptations. Before we begin, though, let's remember this about temptation. The only things that tempt us in life are the things that are good and pleasing. 
I might be tempted to eat that second bowl of chocolate ice cream, but I'm not going to be tempted to eat even one bite of Brussels sprouts, because that's gross. As we will see with each of these temptations, my wife would disagree. As we will see with each of these temptations, there's a lot of good that can be said about them. The first temptation, to turn stones to bread. Remember we had read that Jesus was famished, and now he's being tempted to satisfy that hunger. Obviously Jesus has the power, the ability to turn those stones to bread. I mean, later on, he's going to turn water into wine. He's going to feed 5,000 people with just a little bit of bread and fish. He has the power to do it, so why not? He's the Son of God, after all. Certainly the Son of God should not go without. Why not turn a few stones to bread? I came across a poem this past week by a man named Chip Camden. He's an Episcopalian. I think he's a priest in California. And I'm going to reference that poem off and on during this sermon. And the title of the poem is called Temptations. And here's the first section that deals with this first temptation. Creature comforts, and why not? All you have to do is give up a few rocks. These sun-baked stones that burn your hands and cut your feet could soon become a desert treat. Stop being so hard on yourself. Why not, the poem asks. How can this possibly be a bad thing? Now remember, temptation's only temptation when there's some good to it. And this sounds like there's some good to it. But what is the nature of this temptation? Here's a suggestion I'd have. I think the temptation here is for Jesus to use creation in a way that creation is not intended to be used for one's own benefit. You see, rocks are meant to be rocks, not food. And for Jesus to just turn them to food for his own hunger's sake would be working against God's intention for creation. What about us? How might that kind of temptation face us? The temptation of, to use creation for our own personal benefit. Well, we live in a society that calls on me, calls on us to consume and consume some more. And don't think twice about doing it because that's what life is all about. That's what gives life meaning is the getting and the getting and the getting. And certainly don't think that in our taking more and more, that means that we're ignoring those who have little or nothing at all. And don't think about how our constant getting and getting and getting might be having an adverse effect on the health of our earth. Not just keep getting and getting and using and using to feed our hunger, because that gives us meaning. That shows that we're a success. Maybe that's how we are tempted. But then Jesus responds, A person doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, Jesus trusts that God alone will provide for the hunger inside of him. He realizes that nothing outside of God will satisfy that hunger. Jesus knows what to do. Because he trusts God to provide. And maybe for us, as we consider the temptation of more and more and more for me, 
Maybe we ought to consider the question of how we might trust God to provide for the things in life that matter the most. Those things that we truly hunger for. The the need to belong, to feel like we matter. How might we know what to do? The second temptation, to, to jump off from the highest point of the temple. What might be the temptation there? Remember, temptations are always have the potential for good. Can you imagine if Jesus jumped off the top of the temple and landed safely? I mean, imagine the publicity splash that it would create. I mean, Jesus really was a nobody. Nobody knew who he was. He came from an unknown family. He he came from a town that was out in the boonies. Nobody knew about Jesus. Can you imagine if he'd have done this right in the center of the religious heart in Jerusalem? Imagine the folks that would come running Man, how famous he would be all of a sudden. Maybe we could say that's the temptation. Now I'd like to go back to that poem again and read the second part. Fame, it's all yours for the taking. All you have to do is leave this lonely wilderness, head right to the center of the noisy crowd, drop in your branding clear and loud, start showing what you got. Why not grab fame, Jesus? Make a big splash. Get your name out there. How might that temptation be toward us? Maybe it's obvious, but in case it's not, it's that desire to be out front, to be noticed. What Dr. King called the drum major instinct. You see, if we're not getting our name out there, then we're really nobodies, aren't we? I'd suggest that when churches begin to measure themselves by the number of people in the pews and how big the budget is, that temptation is very real. How does Jesus respond? Don't put the Lord your God to the test, Jesus says. Trust in God to do the leading. Jesus says he'll focus on the following. That's how he'll know what to do. And in following in the way of God, it'll involve making real what the love and grace of God is all about. It'll be about lifting up those who are the least and the last and the lost and also calling out the systems that put people in that place. That same calls to us that we put our trust in God to lead us With Jesus as the example. That poem says to start showing what you've got. Well, in following Jesus, what we show what we got is getting us into the uncomfortable and vulnerable positions of loving others, of giving of ourselves in ways that we would never want to do on our own. By following the way of Jesus, we will know what to do. Then that third temptation... The devil will give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. All he has to do, all manners of earthly power, all he has to do is worship him. What's the temptation, the good here? Can you imagine the power that Jesus would have? Imagine all that he could do being in control of all the earthly kingdoms. They'd be under his control so he could clean out the bad and put in the good. Remove all the greed and corruption 
and instead put good people in the places of power. Drain that swamp. Now back to the poem. Power. It's not as easy, but it's well within your reach. All you have to do is want it more than anything. Make it your top priority. Your one and only deity. That sounds good, doesn't it? Take over the whole world and let everyone know who's in charge, who's on top. Where's the temptation for us? Ooh. That, that's an odd ringtone. Where's the temptation for us? It's to, it's to latch on to the powers that be. To want that more than anything. Maybe those powers are political or economic or social. Attach our names to these powers and make ourselves a people of power too. Get those powers listening to us. Getting stuff done for us. Ever since the third century, when the church made an alliance with Emperor Constantine, the church has always had an uneasy and usually unhealthy relationship with the places of power in our world. How does Jesus respond? Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. For Jesus, as he served God by fully embracing that command to love God and to love neighbor as self, that would see Jesus not in the places of power, but among the poor and the outcast. Serving God would not have him among the heads of state in Judea or Rome or Washington, but among the very least brothers and sisters and also calling out those who are in those places of power. The call to us. The poem talks about your top priority. Well, rather than a top priority of power and status and control, a priority of serving God by serving others, just as Jesus did. And when we do that, we will know what to do. You see, Jesus, the beloved Son of God, was tempted to be a child of God who would satisfy whatever hunger he felt, to pursue fame and status that would come along with it, to seek power and control for his own benefit and his fellow loved children of God. We too are tempted to fill our lives with whatever pleases us, to be noticed and be made important and appreciated. To use our power however we might, whenever we might want it. However, we put our trust in a God who we read about at the end of this poem. Instead of your strange and silly God, God of suffering... You see, our God is a God who gives, not grabs. A God of solitude. Our God's a God who risks Himself by not following the chance of the crowd, but by offering Himself up for the sake of the crowd. And a silly, strange God of silence. Our God's a God who chooses to deny Himself and take up a cross. Jesus knew what to do. 
because he followed in the way of the God who would show him the way. And now the question is for us, how will we know what to do? Our hymn of invitation and dedication this morning.